Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Friday the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. And we're joined this morning uh, by a couple of guests. Uh, We'd like to introduce Corey Lively, CEO of Elk City Hospital. Corey, how are you doing? Good morning. I am well. Thank you very much. Great. And uh, we're also having Leanne Jimenez, a friend of the podcast, who is our uh, member of our, our chair of our Republican caucus um, and also a member of the Tulsa Classroom, Classroom Teachers Association. Association. Uh, so thank you, Leanne, for joining us. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me back. And full disclosure, um, we have a third guest on the podcast this morning at Leanne's house in case you hear any adorable baby sounds. Leanne's, uh, Leanne's uh, playing a grandma duty uh, this afternoon. So um well, we're con- we wanted to talk uh, to you guys this morning about State Question 802. Um, Corey, let's start with you. First of all, tell us a little bit about Elk City Hospital and um, why um, how 802 would affect uh, the work that you guys do there. Yes, thank you very much. You know, Great Plains Regional Medical Center, uh, located in in Elk City, is really really the largest hospital between Amarillo in Oklahoma City, right mm-hmm. here on this wow. I-40 corridor. Mm-hmm. So if you're traveling between Amarillo and Oklahoma City, and, or you're a local, or or you're traveling regionally or nationally, and you find yourself in need of health care, uh, our facility, our organization, is is really your hospital of choice, your mm-hmm. only hospital of choice uh, to, to get needed services should should you need that. You know, and for our local community, it, it's going to be a tremendous impact. Mm-hmm. Um we have been very fortunate over the last few years as an organization to to make some very good decisions about how we deliver health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a organization in our region, a hospital that that unfortunately did not survive mm-hmm. uh, the pressures that we're facing in Oklahoma. And, you know, they were close to us. They were about 15 miles away. And, and that organization was forced to close its doors. But for our community and our region, uh, we're one of also not just the main hospitals, but we're the largest employer. Absolutely. We employ almost 450 people, wow. and we make a significant footprint on the infrastructure and the revenue cycle of our, our local economy. Yes, Focusing and, and ultimately passing State Question 802 brings tremendous dollars, not only right here to Elk City, but regionally and healthcare deliver delivery regionally to us. And that's, I mean, that's jobs, not just, I mean, it's healthcare. It's also jobs, economic impact. Um, so many ways that that affects economies across the state. Absolutely. Not, not only, you know, when you focus statewide and, and you say that the passage of state question 802 can create 27,000 additional new jobs and $15 billion in, in economic activity wow. for us locally and regionally here in Elk City and Beckham County. That number immediately is approximately 75 new jobs and wow. about $9 million of economic impact direct to Western Oklahoma, just, just as a result of our hospital and, and state question 802. That's huge. 
So Leanne, talk to us about why, you know, this is a healthcare issue, but why is this also of interest to educators? Thank you. Oh. <laughs> um, I have uh, two different takes on this because okay. I'm an educator and I'm a mother of three daughters who are all grown, mm-hmm. but not quite all over the age of 26 yet. One of mine is turning 26 in just a few months and she will be off of my health care at that time. Mm-hmm. She's currently in a job that doesn't pay her um, health care benefits. Yeah. And so when she is off of my um, health care and uh, searching for her own, um, having Medicaid expansion out there might be very beneficial to her and to my younger daughter when that happens to her as well. Um, and then on the education front, we have so many families in our school systems who um, don't currently have health insurance. They... Yeah. Um, or have affordable health insurance. Let's put it that right, way. Right. When you're when you're working, you know, even um, some of our own employees in the education yes. field, you know, our support professionals don't make um, enough money to um, afford good health care. And some of our districts will pay for health care for them, and some of them won't. But even you know, for me myself, my um, district would pay all of mine, but I have a family. And so I'm out that money every month paying for um, my children so that they can be on, um, can be covered for their medical issues. You know, I'm glad. Um, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Leanne. I was going to say, and you know, so our own employees and then the families that we serve, Mm -hmm. uh, many of them, you know, send their kids to school sick because they couldn't afford Right. Um, to take them to the doctor right. or things like that. And it just, you know, in this specifically in this day, um, in our unprecedented times, that's the buzzword of the day. Um, mm-hmm. We don't want our kids to be coming to school sick. Right. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up our um, support professionals because um, Medicaid expansion is really going to benefit a lot of working Oklahomans. Um, like individuals making less than $17,000 a year. And we know that the average ESP pay is a little over $16,000 a year. So this also helps our support staff and their families directly. I mean, a lot of them directly. Um, and that $17,000 a year is just for one person right, in the family. Right. right. Um, so one of the things that has, you know, opponents have brought up, Um, And Corey, I'd like you to to talk about this first. Um, Opponents have said, well, if we do this, uh, we're going to have to we're going to have to hurt education. And that is absolutely not true. Um, Can you talk about that? um, That pushback? Have you heard that? Absolutely. You know, uh, to your point, uh, we we heard this initially uh, when Mm -hmm. there began to be a, a big push for Medicaid expansion over the last 12 to 15 months in our state. Uh, there was a lot of chatter out there about uh, how this would directly impact funding and and other things. And, and if you would, at the end of this, I, w- I would like to tell a story about how we engage as a hospital directly with our school-aged children. Oh, and, yes, we'd love and so that. Back to the point, uh, you know, 90% of the funding from new Medicaid enrollees will come from the federal government. And mm-hmm. I think everybody at this point is familiar with that 90-10 mm-hmm. ratio. And this funding exists already uh, in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for that first year, $1.2 billion from the federal government 
infused into the Oklahoma economy. Funding for the state match is possible through a variety of other avenues that already exist, mm-hmm. such as public health, behavioral health, and corrections. Mm-hmm. Lastly, as a backstop, the hospitals have pledged a portion of, of support uh, that can be used to fund Medicaid expansion, not only without raising taxes, but without affecting the other critically needed programs, boost to education, um, and, and boost to a variety of other things. And so, uh, you know, some of those items that I've already mentioned, funds from the 2004 tobacco tax mm-hmm. uh, currently create funding for uninsured or underinsured, which, uh, Leanne, you mentioned a little bit, those, those young families out there struggling uh, that, that can't fill that gap. Um, other revenues earmarked for health care, i.e. the 2018 cigarette tax. Mm-hmm. And lastly, and I can't stress this enough, but the hospitals as a collective and the hospital association willing to step up and say, we need this for our state. We need this for our population, for the health of our, not just our school age children, but everybody. Mm -hmm. And and being able to fill in that gap, uh, that funding gap. And so as I say that, uh, I really want to share with you. We, we have a very unique program here uh, in Elk City. Uh, we're part of a larger program called the Project Aware. And Project Aware is a, a school age uh, program that uh, a lot of smart people at our school, our, our, our nurses, our teachers, our superintendents at Elk City, Weatherford, and Woodward uh, about two years ago, wrote a grant, and they received an $8 million roughly grant wow. to really focus on the behavioral health needs of mm. school-aged children. That's awesome. And our program director here in Elk City came to me immediately and said, Corey, how, once we start this and we identify the needs of these kids, what do we do after that? And so as a hospital and the primary health care delivery unit in this region, our focus has been, okay, let's answer some questions. Are these kids having access to health care? Are they going yeah. to a pediatrician? What's their mental health? And if we identify an issue, can we can we get them to the right person? Can we get them to a counselor? Can mm-hmm. we get them to a psychiatrist? Yeah. How can we provide that in our community? Are they eating a good lunch? Are they having, you know, one, two, three meals a day? Do they mm-hmm. have a place to sleep? And how can the hospital stay engaged in thousands of these kids' lives, literally? And and where the rubber meets the road for our conversation is, this is our role and this is our responsibility as, as the hospital. And are we going to be able to survive? Because guess what? We're, tr- we're treating these kids and we're treating their families in our emergency room and in our clinics. Many times, many times, Leanne, to your point, unfunded because they don't have insurance or Mm -hmm. they don't have access. And the passage of 802 for Medicaid expansion would put, I know, our community and a lot of communities in such an incredible position to to care for the lives of these individuals and families. So the question that I posed to both of you um, and Corey, let's hear from you first, and then Leanne. Um, why do you plan to vote yes? In a nutshell, why are you voting yes on June thirtieth? You know, voting yes 
brings dollars back to our state to focus on a variety of things. Certainly, certainly population health, uh, the economic downturn and, and the pandemic that we've experienced has, has stretched our economy, uh, beyond belief. And I think there's never been an opportunity like this to stabilize healthcare delivery, to mm-hmm. focus on population health, to improve our position, both from, from a health perspective, a mental health perspective, and, and from a stability position for our state. You know, we're heavily dependent on agriculture and energy, and energy has taken a downturn. And I know for Western Oklahoma, that's that's also a substantial hit. Mm-hmm. And if we don't stabilize our health care and our economy, uh, we could lose long term if yeah. we don't do this. I mean, it's a it's it's a long drive to either Oklahoma City or Amarillo from where you are without a without a, a, a hospital. And lives are at stake yes. when that happens. Well, uh, Leanne, what about you? And what, or what would you say to other educators of, of why they should vote yes? Well, similar to what Corey said, you know, if we have our most needy um, students that can have regular doctor's checkups and yeah. can do the things that um, are preventative mm-hmm. rather than ending up in the emergency room or having to take off, um, you know, extra amounts of time from school, or from their jobs because they aren't covered and yeah. they don't go to the doctor regularly and they just, you know, when they get sick, they're, they're sick for a while. Um, we need to be able to provide for them and the mm-hmm. expansion of Medicaid will do that. Similarly, um, you know, there should be money coming back to our state that is now being divided among other states oh, yes, because we have not accepted this. Mm-hmm. And so, if we're like Corey said, you know, with the current downturn that we're in, we need to bring money back to our state. And mm-hmm. this is one way to do that. Well, thank you so much for both of you taking the time to talk to us about state question 802. And just a reminder um, that it will be on the ballot June 30th. So whether you're voting in person or absentee, that's your opportunity to um, to decide about Medicaid expansion. So we appreciate your time very much, both of you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, this afternoon, we are joined by a couple of uh, not only nurses, but experts in health. Um, We have Beverly Burke, who is an RN who works out at Jenks. And we have Tammy Kane, an RN who works at Mustang. And both of you are involved in the School Nurse Organization of Oklahoma, an affiliate of the National Association of School Nurses. So good morning. Thank you. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. So uh, we wanted to visit with you guys about uh, back to school. We just surveyed OEA members across the state, uh, had about 3,000 people respond about different back to school health issues. So we wanted to kind of talk to you about some different things that our uh, members have have told us. Um, One thing that jumped out at me was that at least 80% of the people who took the survey said they were at least a little concerned about their own health working this fall. Are you hearing that from um, your nursing colleagues? And are you hearing that at work? Are people concerned about this fall? Yes, we are. I am. <laughs> so, um, so tell us, uh, is, 
Hmm. I'm sorry. Let me uh, think about how to ask I my. Think, let me think about how to ask my question. Yeah, the beauty about a podcast is that we can cut this part out <laughs> and, when uh, Carrie loses her train together. of thought. <laughs> sorry, you guys. Yeah. Um, okay. So I was going to ask about masks. Um, okay. I'm sorry. Can You're, I can I say something about um, just general people's feelings about being concerned about for their health? Yes. I mean, yes. Think, yes. I think that um, it's important that as human beings, we recognize that even as school servants, school teachers, school cafeteria members, school bus drivers, school um, nurses, we're human beings Mm -hmm. and we have families that we go home to at night. And the thought that we might be exposed to a condition that could um, result in illness is always in the back of your mind. And mm-hmm. there are very few people who can just go to work and isolate and, and, and like you hear on the news, some of the nurses are doing and doctors are doing. But in a school setting, especially with teachers and, and those that make a whole lot less money, um, it's, it really is a concern. Mm-hmm. How do we protect ourselves and how do we, um, help protect our students? Because after all, that's what we're, there to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, that weighs heavily on people's mind. And I wouldn't want to dismiss that. If they had yes. said that they weren't concerned at all, I would have been very upset. Very concerned. I <laughs> <laughs> would have been very irresponsible. Absolutely. Um, so I, I do think that um, acknowledging that is very important. And then to relieve the anxiety with that or to mitigate the anxiety, I guess, because we're never going to be able to take it away. We have to say, what are the best practices? Mm-hmm. What are the standards? What does the research say? And what, um, what is our, how is our organization to put that into practice? And that's why it's so important that we look to organizations like CDC and we look to, um, organizations like school nurse organization and national association of nurses so that we are not just deciding this sounds good for you know ex oklahoma Mm. we'll we'll do it this way yeah um and then everybody says well i don't know if that's going to work and that's going to increase my anxiety if we can say we've got good scientific evidence that this is what will work and what will mitigate the risk then i i feel safer going back to work and under those conditions Yes, and you know, um, from our survey, 33% of our uh, survey respondents said they were in a high-risk category, whether that's an autoimmune disease or an age factor or whatever. So, Tammy, what is the best way that they can keep safe going back to school? I think the best way is to educate themselves on what the current guidelines are and to follow those as closely as possible and follow those procedures and follow those procedures that each school district is putting into place um, with guidance from the medical community, with guidance from the CDC and the local health department. One of the things that we that we saw with our survey is that um, every. I mean, it, the, the support is very high for school districts providing masks to employees, students, and visitors. Um, can you talk to us about masks, what they do? Bev, can you explain why wearing a mask makes a difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, all masks are um, designed to cover the nose and the mouth. And when we speak, cough, 
uh, sing, yell. <laughs> we're, we're putting out air particles from mm-hmm. our lungs. And we do know that the coronavirus is a respiratory droplet virus, and it is prevalent in respiratory secretions. It can be found in other things some of the time, but very low risk for transmission. How it gets transmitted is through the respiratory secretions that people breathe out. So the mask is designed to contain your, the wearer's respiratory secretions and air particles within themselves to not put it out into the air so that other people can breathe it in. Yeah. Or it can get put into their eyes or their nose, um, in the air particles. So a mask is an important, um, altruistic measure. If you care about other people, And you Mm -hmm. say, well, I am going to wear a mask so that on the off chance that I've been exposed and I'm sick and I don't know it, I will contain my secretions so that no one else could get exposed to them. Um, And I think that that is very important for teachers. Um, I'm not surprised that your survey says that they're concerned about and and want that because they don't want to transmit to someone else. They don't want to give their students um, an illness when they don't, when they just might perhaps not even know that they're sick. Now, that's any kind of a face covering I'm not talking about. However, there are differentiations in types of masks, right? There's there's a cloth mask. You can make a map out, mask out of a neck scarf or a bandana or a T-shirt. All of that will contain your secretions. It doesn't really matter what type of mask. It will all do that. However, other types of, of masks um, that are more important for healthcare workers and and, for, and perhaps maybe our, our bus drivers and some people who are going to get a lot of exposure would be an N95 mask. And that's mm-hmm. a mask that actor, actually filters out the air you breathe in as well as contains the secretions that you're breathing out. So having both types available for different types of school employees are real important. So one, one of the questions that I've received um, and I, I think it's just, a one of those things that was put out on Facebook and people started believing it because, you know, it was on the internet, but, um, so I want to hear it from a healthcare <laughs> professional about the safety of wearing a mask all day. Um, the question posed to me was, uh, that it's not safe to wear a mask all day because you're breathing your own carbon dioxide for an extended period of time. Bev, I'll let Can you we? handle that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love the way you tag team. <laughs> okay, well, here's the deal. A mask that is tight-fitting, um, carefully sealed over your nose, around your cheeks, under your chin, is going to reduce the amount of airflow that you have because it all has to come through the other type of the N95 filtration devices. So that's going to reduce that um, airflow. And that's why that type of mask is very important for um, healthcare workers and people who don't necessarily wear it eight hours at a time, but who wear it in high um, viral load conditions, like in an ICU room or in an emergency mm-hmm. room or something. But even then, and they go out into a a, a a more controlled space and they remove their mask and they don't wear it continuously. 
face coverings like cloth masks and and uh, that sort of thing have a much um Again, remember, it's not filtering the air you breathe. It's, right. it's containing your secretions. So those face coverings have much more airflow. And in fact, most of them even have little pockets on the side or, you know, or, or moving, uh, moving a higher amount of air. So um, I think that that is a lower risk um, and wouldn't be something that would concern me. However, I'm going to say that I don't know of any job that you wear a face covering, quote, all day. You will wear a face covering when you are in a group of people, and you will re- you'll be able to remove that face covering when you go to the bathroom and take a little break by yourself, when you go to eat and you eat by yourself, when you have planned time and you're planning by yourself. When you uh, go to recess and and you're maybe walking the um, the perimeter by yourself, so there are I think that the conditions of wearing the mask are important, and there are many ways to increase airflow and volume. Now, one last thing is that if you are if you do have and suffer from anxiety and that sort of thing makes you breathe faster and what we would call hyperventilate, um, you, you know, you might want to think about something where you don't have to wear a mask all day because it's just, it, it's the thought of I've got a mask on and I can't take it off and I can't breathe. That really is very overwhelming. Right. But I will say, uh, again, just to for everybody to understand that the, um, the cloth face coverings are not, they do reduce some amount of air, but they're not filtering the air. You can get all the air you need by normal speech, normal talking. Now, maybe if you're dancing and laughing and talking and and getting a little hot and short of breath anyway, that might not help, but um, otherwise they... I would I would also add that the full face shield would be an option in those specific types of cases for individuals who have high anxiety or maybe you're teaching students who require facial recognition. Um, those hearing impaired students who who have to right. read lips to understand. Mm-hmm. So the full face shield is another option and data mm-hmm. has shown um, that the they are not as effective as the face covering. Um, the cloth face covering or the face mask, but it is it does reduce the air particles that are um, produced through the through the air when you speak, cough, or um, sing, laugh. So that that is a safer option. It's um, but it isn't as effective. And, and that brings up the the importance of layering those safety protocols, making sure you're washing yeah. your hand, making sure there's good airflow through the room, making sure, you know, if you should have a uh, face covering on, all of those things, um, you know, when you layer them, help keep us safer, correct? Correct. Correct. As well as following the CDC guidelines, as following those procedures Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So one thing that um, came up uh, in our survey was, is related to funding. Um, And Tammy, I want to ask you about this. Um, 
Only 37% of our respondents said that they have a full-time nurse in their, in their building. Um, and only 10% said that their district provides enough hygienic supplies like wipes or tissues, cleaners, those, those kinds of things. Um, why, why is it critical to have nurses in our building? And why is it critical, especially this year, to have um, those, those uh, tools that we need to keep our schools clean and safe? Wow, that's not a loaded question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, currently in the state of Oklahoma, school nurses are not mandated, required by the Department of Ed to provide a school nurse at every site. However, it is vital. It is important that we continue this movement to promote school nurses um, in our state, um, as other states do have full-time nurses at every school. Um, the, the registered nurse is really the only um, medical professional, other than phys obviously physicians, that are legally able to assess mm -hmm. a patient's signs and symptoms and be able to determine within all of the parameters of, um, especially with COVID situations, mm -hmm. and to, um, to determine what is best for that particular patient, student, staff member at that time. Do we need, they are, are they safe to go back to class? Do they need to be sent home immediately? Do we need to put a mask on them right now? Mm -hmm. All of those situations, only an RN is able to assess that situation. And we, we flatly do not have that in the state of Oklahoma. Well, it, it is, it's, it's imperative that we, we get on board with pr providing our students with a full-time nurse at every site. I mean, and provide the funding for that. Don't make the districts have to come up with that. Right. I mean, we are in the middle of a pandemic and we're about to right. be in close proximity again right. here in just a few weeks. I mean. Right. And healthy children, healthy children are better learners. Yes. That's right. 100%. And healthy staff are better teachers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, and I would like to add to Tammy's comment too that you know the the school nurse, a, a registered school nurse, is a bachelor's prepared nurse, and the difference between a bachelor's prepared nurse and other types of nursing and other types of medical fields is that public health component. Mm -hmm. You have to mm -hmm. take the classes in public health. You have to do your public health certification um, to be part of that school nurse team. And so to not use that expertise is um, really damaging to the schools, you know, because you bring in somebody who has a great surgical background. That's, that's wonderful. They're wonderful people. But if they don't have public health components to to understand the, the mechanisms of the of the society and the students and the families and the teachers and their families and how the whole organization um, works together in terms of a health unit, um, it, you know, it, it's it would be difficult. It, it's it's not impossible. Many nurses have entered via that route, but really, that public health nursing is so critical for all of our states. Um, and all of, especially our rural counties where uh, these people are in, in very short supply. Absolutely. So, let, I mean, you, you just mentioned that expertise. Um, another thing that came up, about 60% of our respondents said that that um, district leaders are not involving district staff in the decision-making process. Why, why does a nurse have to be part of that conversation about back to school? 
Tammy, do you want to start? Tammy, do you want to start? Um, it's imperative. That they, go, go ahead. <laughs> well, if you look at the guidelines that um, CBC puts out, you look at the guidelines that the Oklahoma State Department of Education put out, and you look at the part, at guidelines from, I've been looking at um, California and Missouri and New Mexico and Massachusetts. I, you know, I'm looking at everybody's guidelines to help recommend for our state. And if you look at that, you'll find that they're very, consider A, uh, think about B. Here are some options for C, one, two, three, and four. And there's a lot of things presented that you could do, um, and they would all probably pre be pretty effective. But which one is um, research-based? Which one is best for our community of 800 people versus for our community of 46,000 people? How do we, ha what resources and, and access do we have um, to make those decisions? And certainly our superintendents, I think, are very well um, informed and very well able to make good decisions uh, for their groups of people that they are. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to turn my head because somebody's coming to my door and I got to think. Um, for groups of people that they're reporting to and responsible for, but um, they can't make health decisions. They haven't had that training to say how is virus transmitted, how is virus. Um, going to be contained? How can we do that in a classroom of 30 kids? Um, and so it's really important that we use the school nurse to help make, interpret the guidelines that are out there and make a decision based on what's best for their community. Uh, the, the, the school nurse is a specialist in infection control procedures in the public health setting, which is a school setting. They are the one that understand those infection control procedures and they can see the big picture and they can see mm -hmm. um, just those little nuances. For an example was um, a teacher was trying to teach how their children how to wash their hands well and she would do an ink stamp on each child's hand as they were walking in the door and they needed to go wash their hands and they didn't get the ink off and they didn't do it well enough hmm. and I quickly explained yes but you just exposed everybody to each other yeah. by using that same stamp <laughs> on every child and then that's just an example of not being able to think those little procedures through yeah yeah, yeah. well Thank you, ladies, both for joining us this afternoon, and thank you for what you do to keep our our students safe and healthy, um, not just in your own districts, but across the state. We really appreciate it. We appreciate the partnership with the School Nurses Organization of Oklahoma, especially. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements. So this is a pre-recording. Uh, I am on vacation this week. Yay. And yay, uh, hopefully. Um, and I am going to be practicing some self-care. Yes. I am not going to uh, answer emails and copious okay. amounts of text. Okay. And you can't see, but I'm giving her the like. She's giving I... me the eye. She's eyeballing me <laughs> over here. 
Um, it's important that we take downtime to care for ourselves and to yeah. recharge ourselves. Yeah. We give so much so often yeah. and for so long. If we don't take a minute to, you know, sit back and breathe and relax, then actually our shoulders would be at our earlobes <laughs> from the amount of tension and stress, right? You can't, I mean, you can't keep doing what you need to do if you burn out. Right. And your kids need you to take care of yourself and need you to take that downtime so that yeah. you can actually come back and, and continue working. Yeah. So I am going to uh, a happy place, which is anywhere with water. Yeah. Whether it's a pool or a lake or an ocean, um, you know, uh, if I Large just water fountain. see it <laughs> and just the smell of the lake yeah. and uh, the, the boat motor oil and gasoline smell, <laughs> I love it. Um, so so we are going to be taking some time off. Uh, Carrie, what do you do for self-care? You know, I've been thinking about this a lot really since the pandemic about what are things that I do to just like chill out because really I love to hang out with my friends. You know, I love to do things with yeah. our other friends and play dates and all that good stuff. Um, so that's not been possible. So I've really, this is going to sound silly, but I like have come to this great conclusion about things that I like. What are things I really like? Um, and I like to drink coffee on my porch, which makes it sound glamorous, but it, our porch is real sad. But I like <laughs> drinking coffee in the folding chair on our porch. Um, and I love doing crosswords. So I ordered myself a crossword puzzle book. And that's what I've been doing. Fantastic. You know what I won't be doing on this vacation? Crossword puzzles? Well, no, I mean, <laughs> that could happen. Um, my brothers wouldn't let me plan it out. Oh, see, because it's a sibling vacation, oh, okay. all adults, mm, and yes. so uh, and so. I said, "Oh, who? I'll put a spreadsheet well, together, I was just a ask, Google sheet." Who, who's making the spreadsheet then? If you can't plan it, who's making the spreadsheet? Alicia, I have also multi-tab spreadsheets, um, color-coded itineraries, all the things. You got it. I get it. I'm said, with you. We could all put in what movies we want to watch and what games we want to play and who has what and schedule it that out. That sounds awesome and fun. <laughs> and they're like, or we could <laughs> not. <laughs> well, everyone's self-care looks different. That's Spreadsheets right. or not, you just embrace it. That's right. Uh, well, <laughs> thank you for joining us today on Friday, Ogre, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, relaxing on a beach, president <laughs> of the Oklahoma Education Association. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. If you have another platform you'd like to see Fried Okra on, or if you have any other questions, reach out to friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education. <laughs>